0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Over the course of this series, we've been exploring this beautiful reality that Jesus invites everybody, young and old, rich and poor, uh, across, across racial and ethnic lines, people who we would think, of course, he would invite them, people who we would think, how'd they get the invitation? He invites everybody, not to a religious ceremony, not to simply do what he says, but to come and follow him. And Jesus tells the story about God throughout his life, of God who is not a cosmic rule giver, but God who is like a perfect, powerful, fully loving heavenly father who is worthy to be followed. And I love that video that we show in the beginning of this series because it gives us a picture of of a dad just saying, come with me, come with me, let's take this journey together. And that is the invitation that God invites each of us to. It's for everyone always, and that is such good news. And so we've been exploring over the course of this series what it looks like to walk with God, to follow Jesus on this journey— and we've been talking about this remarkable thing that happens in the following process. That in the following process, God's Spirit does this work in our lives. And it's hard to know exactly how it happens. It's, it's a process that happens as we follow, where God begins to change our thoughts and our desires and our hopes and our dreams. And ultimately, our actions begin to be shaped around the things that God desires, not from us, but that God desires for us. And it's the invitation that Jesus says. He he doesn't say, change your thoughts, your desires, your words, your actions, and then you can follow me. He says, follow me, and then you will begin to change. As we jump into today's message on the fine print, I want to ask a question, because I want to see how many people are like me and how many people are like my wife. And there's no right or wrong answer. There's just my answer and the wrong answer. So uh, you don't need to worry. Now, how many—I won't tell you which one is which yet, although if you know me at all, you can probably guess. When it comes to Christmas, how many of you love receiving presents that are fiercely practical? We need that around the house. This is—it's okay. Raise your hand. I'm not going to shame anybody. How many like the practical presents? It's okay. We stood up. That's good. The practical presents. All right. How many of you like completely impractical presents? Now, I— I'm no mathematician, but I'm pretty sure at least half of you never raised your hand. So how many of you like lying in church? That's my next question. Okay, I—this might seem shocking to you. I am a big fan of fiercely impractical presents. I am 36 years old, and when it comes to Christmas, I look for presents in the 12 to 18-year-old range. It was— remote-controlled helicopters a few years ago, which I do fly around the church when you're not here. <laughs> this year I found at Costco this, this remote-controlled off-road truck. And I said to Maria, that, that's my jam right there. Like that. Or the original NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, that's coming out. Also extremely, extremely important for any good Christmas goer. Amen. But one thing about presents. Everyone's trying to sell us stuff right now. You know, I saw this, heard this car commercial, and it was the two week Black Friday sale. Like, you can't actually do that. There are many other days in that two weeks. But the thing about all these advertisers selling us things right now is they give you this great picture of what you could buy, and then at the very bottom of the advertisement, in really, really small letters, is the fine print. And it tells you all the restrictions and things that it can't do. Or if you're listening to it on the radio and you're a product of the 80s, the micromachine man comes on at the end, and he just starts talking about everything that will happen or won't happen, all the restrictions. And I don't like the fine print. I bought my kids some presents at Costco the other day because I got to go by myself, and um, that's dangerous. And so I bought my kids this, these presents. I won't tell you what they are because uh, I can't trust all of you to keep a secret. But I bought them, and then I, uh, I checked out, and I saw in really small letters, for ages 12 and up. Now, my kids are nine and six, and these, these, these toys could be used as weapons, possibly. Um, and I thought, well, why is that so small? Did I take it back? Absolutely not, because I am 12 and up, and I like fiercely impractical <laughs> presents. But the thing about following Jesus that I love is that Jesus doesn't hide the fine print of following Jesus actually puts the fine print of following right front and center, because Jesus believes that as we follow him, we will begin to trust him. We take these, these steps of faith, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that steps of faith is simply trusting God enough, having just enough respect for God, to take a step to try something God says. And we talked about the reality that as we take steps of faith in following God, that God shows up and shows his faithfulness to us and it builds our trust so that the next time it's time to take a step of faith, we trust God a little more and we try a little more. This is the process of following. And the great thing about Jesus is that he has enough respect for you and I that he says, I believe that as you follow me, You will come to trust me enough that when it's time to get into the fine print conversation of what it means to follow Jesus, because there are these these crucial defining moments of following. And when it gets to those conversations, he says, "I, I trust you enough to know that you won't walk away from the fine print, but that you'll actually have a conversation, a dialogue, that you'll engage with me on the journey. And what we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to be a fly on the wall. We're going to peek in on a conversation that Jesus has with some of his closest followers, his best friends, about the fine print of following. And it's such a good story. So Jesus is walking uh, on this road up to this area called Caesarea Philippi. And this story is recorded in a letter called the book of Mark. It's a biography of Jesus' life. And it starts off like this. As Jesus and his disciples went to this village around Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked them a question. He said, who do people say that I am? And and they paused for a minute and they looked at him and they said, actually, people say a lot of things about you, Jesus. Some really good. Some really like you. Some are big fans. Some really bad. Some people out to get you. They don't like you at all. They want to take you down. And then they say, they think that you're like a like a prophet, which takes us back to the letters of the Old Testament of the Bible, which were these people who spoke for God. And so we hear some of this. Well, some people say, verse 28, that you're John the Baptist, who was this guy who spoke for God uh, right before Jesus came on the scene. Others say you're Elijah, this Old Testament prophet. And then Jesus looks at them. He says, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, who I love, Peter, if you ever put your foot in your mouth, if you're ever a little bit impulsive, Peter's your guy. I love Peter. Peter gets it right, but just as often he gets it wrong. And here's the cool thing. Jesus likes that about Peter. In fact, Jesus puts Peter in charge of the whole enterprise after he leaves. So Peter seizes the opportunity. He says, you are the Messiah. And that word Messiah was this loaded term, this loaded title, which meant you're the person who is uniquely blessed by God to be the king who saves God's people. It's like this crescendo moment. And Jesus warns them, don't tell anybody yet. Because what you think that means and what I know that means are worlds apart. Verse 31, Jesus began to teach that the Son of Man, which was the title that he used for himself, must suffer many things, will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, basically the best pastors in the nation will all reject him, that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus wasn't speaking in riddle. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, and he rebuked him. So once they agree about who Jesus is, Jesus begins to say, here's what it's going to cost me to be the one who is uniquely set apart by God to be the king who saves his people. It's going to cost me my very life, but I will rise again. And when I rise again, I I will conquer death. I will break the power of this soul sickness called sin that seems to capture every one of us. And some of you are sitting here, you're thinking, rise again. Come on, it's not Easter. This is Christmas. We don't need to dive into that crazy stuff. I know, but here's what I would tell you. If you explore the story. You'll find that over 500 people saw Jesus alive, and they all told the same story. And it's it's that God did something unique in Jesus, and he rose again. And Peter stands up, and he rebukes. Basically, he stands against Jesus. He says, Jesus, we've got a good thing going here. Let's not go negative. We're feeding thousands of people. We're healing sick people. You've got You've got thousands coming to see you. You're the biggest show in town. This is amazing, Jesus. Don't go negative on us. Come on. And he rebukes him. And right then, Jesus looks around, and there's a whole gathering of people, his his closest followers here and then some others around listening to Peter rebuke. And he looks up, and he sees them. And verse 33 says that when he saw the other disciples, he rebuked Peter back. He stood against Peter, and he said, "'Get behind me, Satan.'" That's strong. We're going to talk about that. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. You merely have human concerns. Get behind me, Satan. That is a big statement that only Jesus can make. I'm just going to give you a free bit of advice. If your husband ticks you off, do not say, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but only human concerns. It will not work. Here's why it worked for Jesus. Jesus only ever had Peter's best interest in mind 100% of the time. Only ever Jesus, Peter's best interest in mind. You and I never, only ever have someone else's best interest in mind 100% of the time. So Jesus could make this harsh statement knowing that it was actually the best thing for Peter. So he rebukes him and he says, you don't have in mind the things of God, but human concerns. The translation, Peter, you're acting like a consumer. You're not concerned about what's going to happen to me. You're concerned about what's going to happen to you in response to what happens to me. This is where it gets a little bit real, because we all start our journey of following God as consumers, and there's nothing wrong with it. Every one of us, at some point, Ask this question, either consciously or subconsciously, what's in it for me if I follow Jesus? What's in it for my family? How does this benefit my work? How does this benefit my relationships? How does this benefit my relationship with God? There's nothing wrong with that question. There's nothing wrong with that starting place. Jesus offers us an answer. He says, if you come and follow me, if you place your trust in me, If I become your leader and the savior of your life, what's in it for you is you will walk in relationship with God. You will be forgiven of your sin, that soul sickness that is hurting you, that's robbing you of life, that's hurting those around you, that separates you from God. You will ultimately have the things, the desires inside of you changed and transformed to be like me. There's nothing wrong with starting out as a consumer. But we all come to points in our journey where Jesus challenges our consumer mindset, where the things that we desire and the things that God desires, butt up against each other. And Peter's having one of these moments. And this is, this is a really good thing. See, as we follow Jesus and we come to this moment where he challenges us with our consumer mindset, he takes what we think is good and he transforms it with something that is ultimately even better. And this is where we get to the fine print of following Jesus. And what's going to happen is I'm going to try to break this down because Jesus gets really big and ethereal. And then I'm going to try to land the plane because he gets really specific towards the end. So stick with me. If you like big ethereal pictures, get ready. we will get really practical as we walk forward. Verse 34, Jesus called the crowd to himself. Along with his disciples, and again, insert the word followers. These people were following Jesus, walking with him, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And denying ourselves simply means that we're saying no to something we want so that we can say yes to something that we ultimately want. And you and I do this all the time in our world. Someone offers us dessert, we want dessert but we don't ultimately want what dessert will offer us the next day. So we deny ourselves. We say no to something we want so we can say yes to something that we ultimately want. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Every one of you at some point, and he's talking to all of us, will have a place where we're invited to say no to something we want so that we can say yes to something that we ultimately want. And then he uses this language, must take up their cross, which for us— It's an interesting thought. We've got a cross up here on the stage. It's nice. It kind of blends with the woodwork. It's it's a good aesthetic. But none of us have ever experienced what a cross would have been like in the ancient world. A cross was where people were murdered, where they were crucified. We've never seen someone crucified. We've never heard the screams. We've never smelled the smells of the cross. So we think, oh, that's interesting. A little bit of hyperbole never killed anybody. But these early followers would have heard this idea, take up your cross. And they would have said, yikes! I can't. That means I could, I could die. See, what the Romans would do is they would, they would crucify people. They would hang them to crosses, and then they'd leave them there for days as a warning to everyone who walked by. This is what happens if you go against Rome. And these people are going somewhere where there's a very real chance that they actually could be crucified. And so he's saying, I need you to just, to be aware. And then Jesus puts the invitation to follow in a larger context. He says, for whoever wants to save their life, that's you and me, we would like to save our lives, must lose their life. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus says, and for the gospel, which is this good news that God has come to this world and he's changing and transforming this world one life at a time as he invites people to follow him and we walk with Jesus, loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And he's talking about a reality in this world. Every one of us at some point is going to lose our life. Do you know this? doesn't matter how much you exercise, how much you diet, how many oils you use. At some point, you're going to lose your life. We all will. It may be prolonged. You may look good when you do it. But ultimately, someday, we're all going to lose our lives. But Jesus says, why not? Why not? Since you're going to lose it anyway, why not freely give it away for something that is ultimately valuable. He says, you know that life that you're going to lose anyway? Maybe at 50 years, maybe at 80 years, maybe at 100 years? You know that thing you're going to lose anyway? Why not? Why not hand it to me? Why not lay it down voluntarily? So that I can give you something that is ultimately more valuable even than that. And then Jesus asks a question that we owe it to ourselves to ask at least once a year. And the question is this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? And that soul is that part of us that makes us uniquely human. That soul is that that part of you that that is the real person. That soul is the part of you that each human experience in the Bible both tells us that we we long for, we dream of, we believe that there must be something beyond 50 to 100 years of life. The thing that draws us to that belief, or at least that hope, even if we don't believe it, we hope for it. The thing that draws us to that is the fact that our soul is designed to live eternally with God. I know but listen, you know that. You've laid in bed before and thought, this can't be it. There must be more. Jesus says there is. So he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Imagine this. Imagine you had everything. You can define everything however you want. What's your everything? Imagine you had everything. I'm not just talking about stuff, but just imagine you had all the stuff in the world. Picture it in your mind. But you had everything. The best intellect in the world. You were the most caring person in the world. You were the best looking in every room you walked into. You had everything. But at the end of your life, that everything cost you your soul. Jesus asks, what would you exchange in that moment for your soul? And the answer, everything. At that moment, two seconds before the candle was snuffed out, if you could stand before God and God would say to you, of the everything that you have acquired, of the everything that you are, how much of that everything, which you can't ultimately take with you, it's going to be gone in two seconds. How much of that everything— Would you exchange for your soul? You and I would say everything. I will give everything for my soul. That, friends, is a clarifying moment for a Jesus follower. Because if we would ultimately give everything for this thing, which ultimately matters most, our soul, if we would ultimately give it that day, why wouldn't we, Jesus says, give it this day? And he goes on. He says, by doing this, you can can ensure your soul. Now, Jesus doesn't talk about specifically what it means to forfeit your soul. Although we can infer from his language, it's not a good thing, right? That's probably not a good thing. So why not ensure our soul? This is how the conversation wraps up. Verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, which again, he's talking about that human reality that we explored on week one, that every one of us has some level of a soul sickness inside of us, that we don't hold to our own standards, let alone the standards of God, let alone the standards we give to our kids. We don't, we, we don't hold to our nine-year-old standards. Be courteous, be polite, do your chores, don't make a mean face. We can't keep their standards. Maria and I talk sometimes and I say, we're actually asking our six-year-old to do more than we're doing. That that seems odd, but we do it all the time, don't we? Don't pretend like it's only me. Come on, I'm on Facebook. I know what you guys write. That's that's sin. That's sin. That thing that does that. And Jesus came to, he says, "I'm I'm like a doctor to heal the sin. As you walk with me, I will begin to change and transform and heal that. So he says, if anyone's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man, again, he's talking about himself, will be ashamed of them when I come in my father's glory with holy angels. Remember, Jesus is talking to a group of people who's about to walk to a place where there's a very real chance they will be murdered for following. We are not there. We're not there. But Jesus says, in that moment, if you're ashamed of me, if you get to this moment where, where it'd be really easy to deny me in your words or your actions or your thoughts, and you choose to deny me, Jesus says, man, I'm going to be ashamed in that moment. Now, here's the good news. Peter, who started this whole conversation, Peter, who sparked the dialogue, Peter, who goes on to, to lead the whole operation, to move the enterprise forward, Peter says, I would never deny you, Jesus. Never. And then within 24 hours, Jesus is confronted by a teenage girl. And he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but thrice. Which lets us know that there's nothing more terrifying in the world than a teenage girl. That is, I told myself I would not say that. If you're a teenage girl and I've just offended you, I am deeply sorry and I'm a little terrified. But here's the good thing. Jesus doesn't kick him out. Jesus doesn't say... You blew it. You're done. In fact, Jesus forgives him. He invites him back in. He puts him in charge of the whole thing moving forward. Peter becomes, for those of us uh, who grew up in the Catholic tradition, the first pope. But there is something there. So here's the moral of the story, and here's where I want to get kind of get specific. Salvation, this, this thing that Jesus gives us, this this invitation of a lifetime to follow him and experience his forgiveness and walk with God, our heavenly father. Salvation is free. It does not cost us anything, but following Jesus will eventually cost us something. Because as we follow, we come to points in the journey where we realize that my hopes and my dreams and my desires and my wants for my life are different than Jesus's hopes and Jesus's dreams and Jesus's wants and Jesus's desires for my life. And what he wants and what I want come into stark contrast. And in those moments, you might be sitting in church, you might be reading your Bible, you might just be out on the street. In those moments where our wants, our hopes, our dreams, our desires for our lives come in contrast with Jesus' hopes, dreams, desires, and wants for our lives, we have this dissonance pop up inside of us. And some of us are really good at pushing it down. Some of us live there for a while, but a lot of us just push it back down. But before we can push it back down, we come to this moment that's that's like this crucial, defining moment— that will mark us one way or the other. We will either choose to engage with God in that discomfort. Because I'll tell you from my own experience, when what Jesus wants, not from me, but for me, and what I want for me, come into contrast, it feels a little bit like a part of me is dying. Which is exactly what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, there will be moments where where you're going to say, I really want blank, but God really wants blank. And here's the great thing. You don't have to worry about missing that moment. You will know that moment when it comes. And Jesus grabs different ones of us at different moments. But you'll know exactly what that moment is because Jesus actually says, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of those of us who follow him. And the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth of God in those moments. But I'll warn you, in those moments, it feels a little bit like death because we hold tightly to the things that we want and our dreams and our hopes. But as we engage with God, and we've been talking about this a lot for the last year, engaging with God means that in that moment when that dissonance comes up, we don't push it down and pretend like it's not there. We actually allow it to come We tell God our honest thoughts and feelings and emotions around it. We begin to ask questions. God, why would this thing that you want be so different than this thing that I want? We gather community around us, a life group, a group of Christian friends, and we say, help me understand because God's saying this, but I actually want this thing over here. We pray, we talk to God, and God transforms and changes our thoughts. But in the process of it, this thing that we want, God begins to slowly kind of peel our fingers back from it. And it hurts a little. And it kind of feels like death. And then he says, let me take that thing that you really want and let me replace it with this thing that you ultimately want. And these are good moments for us. These are defining moments for us, for a follower of Jesus. These are the moments when we decide whose we really are, who our life really belongs to. Oh, my life's In that area, that's still mine. Or, hey, look at that. As I've been following Jesus, I've actually given him an invitation into that area and allowed him to do what he wants. I put this in your notes. Dying to ourselves for the sake of following Jesus means saying to God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And again, it's not bad to have wants. We should all have wants. We have wants. But when our wants and God's wants don't agree. That's when we come to this moment. Here's how you'll know when it disagrees. You'll be sitting in church or you'll be reading your Bible or you'll be talking to a friend and they'll say something and something inside of you will say, no, you know, or, or I'll, I'll say something from stage. And last week, I was the best pastor in the world. You loved me. Such a great communicator. He's fantastic. So full of life. These are the things you say about me, right? I just want to make sure. And then that week I say, oh yeah, I don't need to laugh. And then that week I say something and you're like, I hate this church. How dare they meddle with me. That Kevin, he's, yeah, he's never stays on topic and he's not focused. And okay, ah, there's this tension. There's this tension. And we're tempted to walk away in those moments. Money is a big one for, for most of us. Uh, and I know that. And I have to count the cost. Every time I, I teach about money in our church, we lose 5 to 10% of our community. Whether we lose them, they walk out the door, we lose them, they just get angry at me for a couple months. We talk about radical generosity and, and saving and getting out of debt. And we come to these moments. Now, here's the thing. I'm your friend, I'm your pastor, and I'm not any different than you. I know that you and I don't always want what God wants more than we want what we want. Otherwise, it would not feel like dying to ourselves. If we wanted what God wanted more than we wanted what we wanted in every area, it would feel like true life. So I want to give you a prayer to help start the conversation with God, because I know that we don't ultimately always want what God wants, and that's okay. So here's a prayer to start the conversation, and I would just invite you, go home and sit with this prayer. Or maybe when when the conversation comes up, when that moment comes, remember this prayer. It goes like this. God, I want to want what you want more than I want to want what I want. God, I don't ultimately want what you want more than I want what I want, or otherwise it would not feel like dying. But I followed you long enough to know that ultimately I want to want what you want more than I want to want what I want. God, I don't want to break up with her even though it's clear that I should. But I want to want what you want more than I want to want. See, this starts a conversation with God. If we just do it without ever having the conversation, we're just complying and we will become resentful. We will become resentful. God, I don't want to stay with my wife or my husband, even though it's clear that I should and it's right. But God, I want to want what you want more than I want to want What I want. Help me want what you want more than I want what I want. God, I want to do that business deal even though I know it's shady. There are at least 50 shades in that business deal. This is one of those weeks where I'm your favorite pastor. But I want to do that deal, God. I want to do that deal. I want to do that deal. But I want to want what you want more than I want to want what I want. God, help me to want what you want. God, I hate talking about money. I hate it. And yet, Jesus, you talk about money more than you talk about heaven and hell combined. You talk about generosity as a hallmark of a Jesus follower. God, I don't want to be generous, but I want to want what you want more than I want to want what I want. And friends, we do not have to be worried about these moments. They do not need to scare us because the Jesus who we follow, who has proven himself trustworthy over and over and over again, who led us to that moment, will have a gentle way of leading us through that moment, of gently opening up our fingers as we engage with him, taking out our want and replacing it with something we ultimately want. And it will feel a little bit like dying, but we're all going to die eventually. Why not allow God to reshape our wants here and give us the life we ultimately want? Let's pray. Jesus, I've never, I've never loved a group of people more than I love this church community. I've never been more proud of a group of people than I am of our community because we recognize that we are not perfect. We recognize that we are travelers on a journey with you. And I love this group because, Jesus, we genuinely do want to want what you want more than we want to want what we want. So when those moments come, and they will come, Would you lead us gently through those moments, just as you have led us gently to those moments? And would you be faithful to us walking through those moments as you've been faithful to us walking to those moments? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, next week, Pastor Ron, our founding pastor, is going to be up on stage. And you can always tell who someone follows or what someone follows by what they wear. Right? If, if you love the band Miss Moonshine, like I love the band Miss Moonshine, you've got a Miss Moonshine t shirt, graphic tee that you wear. If you love, uh, if you love the Warriors, you got Warriors gear on all the time. You can tell, you can tell someone who follows the Bears because every Monday they're wearing a frown. Like you can tell. Who someone follows by what they wear, and here's a cool thing: Jesus actually guides us, and the New Testament talks about you can tell a Jesus follower by what they wear. So next week, Pastor Ron's going to talk to us about follow where you don't want to miss it. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.